0: we are going to be equipping you over the next couple of weeks, four or five weeks, um, and trying to help you to identify um, how to do this discipleship process. Firstly, how to listen to God effectively and do what he says, and then how to raise, horizontally raise other people up into that place where they, you're discipling them as well. So this is why you are someone's best disciple. And Liz preached beautifully last week about everybody here has a position or is a discipler of uh, those around them and uh, it's been my experience that discipleship starts well before they actually get into the place where they are converted. Uh, a person comes to Jesus after somebody's been spending some time with them, talking to them about the Lord and witnessing to them about the Lord and sharing their faith with them. So usually it, it happens, discipleship starts when you know, Jesus comes down to the side of the uh, beach and says, follow me. And they get out of their boat and they start to follow Jesus. They, they weren't converted men then. They were just Jews. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know what it was all about. They, they began well before they got converted. But well before they got, asked Jesus to come, they started to follow Jesus. And you'll find that your opportunities with people start well before they start coming to church. Well before they, they say a prayer with you. Well before. It's a process by which you are leading them to that place. I remember when John, I first met John, John sat opposite me and we were talking and we were starting to talk about things and he said, I don't mind talking, but don't you talk to me about the Holy Spirit, he said to me. And here he is today sitting in church. And I think to myself, well, how did that happen? I, I I didn't force John. I didn't put any pressure on John. I just prayed for John and the other guys around us prayed for John. And God started to work with John, started to move with John. And so the process starts long time before you actually get to a place where you pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come into your life. It starts well before. So this discipleship process isn't just when somebody says the prayer. It starts before. So you should start now talking to people around you and think in your mind when you're talking to them, if I can bring them to the Lord Jesus and, and if they give their hearts to Jesus, then I can take them further. They can be my disciple and I can, I can start working with them like that. That's how we have to think. Amen? All right, so why are you someone's best disciple? I've turned that into a question. I've said, why are you someone's best disciple? Now, this is not on your notes to start off with, so if you want to write it on the back of your notes, that's okay. You can write some ideas down there. I think that you're you're, you're the best disciple because you know your condition before God. You know your condition. I mean, before you can actually say, Save me, Jesus... You have to know that you're in danger. You have to know that you are lost. I mean, half the people that I talk to, or even more than half the people, when I say, can Jesus can save you? They say, well, you know, I don't even think I'm lost. Why would, what, you know, they don't even know the condition that they're in. They have no idea that they're in a dangerous place. They have no idea that uh, if they were to die right now, they would go to a place which they would be extremely unhappy about. They have no idea because they just don't know. And, 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 So, but you know, you know, because you have come to a place where you understand. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God is very good, and I want you to understand this. He is so good. He's immensely good. He's morally intrinsically good. Say morally intrinsically good. That means that there is no darkness in him. There's no evil in him. There is no darkness or or blackness in in God. He is always good. Now, when when he's very, very good, he must punish that which is wrong because that which is wrong is bad. So if God is completely good, he must punish that which is wrong because it's bad. If he doesn't punish that which is wrong, he has corrupted his nature. Do you understand that? He ceases to be good if he doesn't punish the bad thing. God is good, and when he sees bad, he must punish bad. It's his goodness that demands him punish it. Well, if I was a judge, and I sat in the judge, and uh, and Phil came to me, and he said, Judge, I have a complaint against Heike. Heike has stolen all of my food out of my fridge, and she is now... Selling it and making lots of money, and I have nothing to eat. And I'm bringing an accusation against her. Can you rule in my favour? And I say, look, uh, Phil, Phil, Phil. Everybody has a bad day. Everybody has a Phil, Phil. Saddle, Hickey. You know it's not right, but we'll forgive you. It's okay. Dismissed. Next. How would you feel about that? They say, oh, well, that's just food. But what if it was if Heike had done something and she she had killed Phil's puppy dog or maybe killed Phil's son or something like that. And then they came to the judge and the judge says, you know, everybody has a bad day. Just get over it, dismiss it. You say that that judge that judge is completely wrong. He is corrupt as a judge. You'd say there's corruption in the legal system. We want we want a penalty. We want we want justice. We're looking for justice. You can't get justice in life unless you have something that's absolutely good and that will bring punishment for that which is bad. There is no justice in this world unless there is somebody saying what you are doing is bad and you're going to be punished for it. When you, uh, somebody steals somebody from you, you go to the court and you say, deal with it if you catch the person, and you want punishment, you want restoration of the stuff that was stolen, right? That's what goodness is. It stands there, and it must not be corrupted. So he must punish that which is evil. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, and you all know this because you sing Colin's songs, we all like sheep have gone astray, we have turned each one to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him. That's Jesus. The iniquity us all. So, you know, ba, ba, do ba, ba. <laughs> That's what it goes like. So what, what it says there, yes, you all broke the rules. And we know what the rules are. We, we know what the rules are. Jesus told us what the rules are. The Ten Commandments are the rules. We broke all the rules. We stole. We told lies. We did things that were wrong with our neighbor and our neighbor's wife. We, we, we deceive one another. We didn't keep God's center in our focus. We broke all of the rules and we should be punished. But the Bible says in Isaiah, he took all of that punishment and he laid it on his son Jesus so that Jesus would receive the punishment, not us. I mean, there's the justice of God. He's got to punish it. But there is also the grace of God whereby he, he's taking the punishment for you. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? I bet if I was on death row, really on death row, and I was going to be taken out and shot the next morning, and somebody said, You know what? Somebody stood up just before you woke up this morning and went outside and they got shot in your place. You're free to go. You would feel elated about that, wouldn't you? You'd feel sad for the person who got shot, but you'd be ha- happy because you're now alive and you're not going to be shot. You would feel happy about that. I'm sure you would. Absolutely, you would. If you're in slavery and somebody said, Hey, you're a slave. I've got the money to set you free, Madsen. I paid the money to set him free. And he said, come on, you're my slave now. But You know what? I'll give you freedom. You can go. You're a free person now. You're not anybody's slave. Well, you'd be feeling free about that. You'd be feeling happy about that, wouldn't you? Someone else pays the price for you. Someone else takes the punishment for you. Someone else dies in your stead. That's jubilating time. It's like, oh, mate, I, somebody loved me that much to do that for me? God loves you that much. And the wages of sin is death, it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's the beauty of it, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the condition. I mean, you're the best discipler because you understand your condition. You understand that you're broken, that you've broken the laws of God, and that someone else has died for you. If you didn't understand that, you wouldn't be able to tell the message of the gospel. You wouldn't be able to... So why are you someone's best discipler? Well, you were created to believe. Everybody says, I don't believe. Some people say, oh, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in in Jesus stuff. I don't believe. And other people say, oh, I do believe. I believe in Jesus. Listen, we all believe. Even the unbeliever is believing someone else. We all believe something. I believe the world, I believe what the world is saying, I believe in evolution, I don't know if it's true, but if I choose to not believe in God and I believe in evolution, then I have something that will take God's place. If I, believe, I say I'm an atheist, I say, I believe that there is no God. I can't say for sure that there is no God. You know, an atheist is a very foolish person. It says, I know everything about everything. I know that there is absolutely no God. Do you know everything? Do you know my mother's middle name? I don't know your mother's middle name. So you don't know everything. Maybe God is outside of your knowledge. You say you don't know him, but the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God because he's got to say, He knows everything to say that there is no God. And he doesn't know my mother's name, so there are things he doesn't know. Maybe God is like my mother's name outside of his understanding. So we were created to believe. We were created to believe something. Everybody believes something. You either believe in the the world, the flesh and the devil, or you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. You either believe in a religion, a false religion, or an idea that comes from the world, or you believe in Jesus. You believe. Everybody was created to believe. We're all hardwired to believe. That's the way God made us. We don't know everything. We have to believe. And this is what the Bible says. And why did Jesus come into the world? And this is where you start writing, because this is one of the questions on your sheet. We're told that Jesus came into the world, that God sent him into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God saw our plight, God saw the situation that we were in, and he did not sit there and say, well, you deserve what you're going to get. He, he said, I love these people so much. Jesus, why don't you go down there? Why don't we do what we planned a long time ago? Let's save those people who are lost. So God sent Jesus into the world. And he did not send them in with a big stick. So he dis, this idea that God has got a big stick and he's going to get you, you know? You wait, well, God is going to get you if you don't. God is so gracious. He, he did not send his son in the world to condemn you, to tell you that you're doing the wrong thing. You already know you are. Your conscience tells you you are. He came to free you from a guilty conscience. He came to give you a new life. And the Bible tells us in John 10.10, 10, and we listened to it last week with Liz and she She talked about it, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said that he came to give you life, and a life more abundantly. That life comes through him, because he is life. It comes through a personal relationship with him. How do you get that life inside of you? Well, you ask Jesus to come inside your life, and the life of God enters into you. It is connected with Jesus. Jesus is life To get God's life is to put Christ inside, and then you are alive now. You have Christ's life inside of you. You have Jesus on the inside. You have life, and because Jesus is abundant life, you have abundant life inside of you, and he helps you with your life. He helps you with the way you think. He helps you with what you do. He helps you when you're going through some tough times. He's always there for you. You have life inside because you have Jesus inside. Amen? What a beautiful thing we have. You are someone's best discipler when you understand the answer to the big question. Why? If you sit and talk to people and, and, and listen to what they're talking, you see the brokenness, you hear, you hear the complaints, you, you hear the pain that they're talking about. You know They're lonely. They, they're extremely lonely. They, they're lonely like you wouldn't believe. They, they're poor maybe. They don't have finances. They are confused about life. They, 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 they have nowhere to go. It's pointless for them. They are struggling in their own walk. They're sad before you, before you can, be, more than you can even comprehend, they have a sadness, deep sadness on the inside. Their lives are pointless. And you say, but I know the answer to that question. Man can't find the meaning of life until he finds life itself. You can't find what you're merely meant to be doing in life until you find the one who is the author of life. He is the beginning and the end. He is the beginning of your life and the end of your life. He, will, he helps you. You can't, you can't know where to go in life until you find Jesus. You'll be wandering around looking for truth. You know, I'm trying to seek the truth. Why are you doing this stuff? You know, I'm trying to seek the truth. I want to find myself. I want to find the truth. And they search in every way. You know the answer. Who's the truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you have Jesus to come into your life, you have the way, the truth, that you know the answer to the problems. That doesn't mean that all your problems go away, does it? But it does mean that Jesus is there to assist you through all of those. And as you just yield to him, he will help you and guide you and lead you and direct you and minister to you through all of those things so that All of the rains and the winds that come upon their lives will come upon your lives. But there is no foundation in their lives. And they will fall and they complain and they fear that they will fall. But the Bible says if you build your house upon the rock, if you live your life in obedience to Jesus and you follow His, when the winds and the waves blow, the house stands firm. It doesn't come down. So you know the answer. You know the answer to the big questions in life. So what's God's promise to those who believe in his son? Jesus says this, God says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I want to talk to you about believing because even the devil believes and is not saved. So the believing is an interesting word because... It can mean rely on and trust on, you know. But if you use it in a sense just as a mental assent, everybody say mental assent. Well, what do I mean by mental assent? So, I mean, I, you know, it's something I give activity of my mind to. I say I believe, but do I really exercise faith in it? I don't know. You see, the devil believes that there is a God. He knows that there is a God, but he doesn't exercise trust and reliance on God. He's independent from God. So when we say believe, and when we read this here, if you believe in Jesus, it means put your complete trust and reliance on Jesus. Okay? That means you have to put both feet on him and stand and say, I will do it because you tell me to do it, even if I don't understand why I'm going to do it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust and obey. I'm going to trust and believe you are the one who's guiding my life. So this this idea then that believe in Jesus is... A much deeper thing. You're in an aeroplane and you're flying at great speed and uh, they say um, the plane is going to go down. You have a parachute underneath your chair. Put the parachute on and jump out the door. It might be a bit terrifying for you. How many of you wouldn't put the parachute on? How many of you would sit in the plane and follow it to the ground? <laughs> okay, you say, i got to put this... You'd put the parachute on, you'd come to the door and you'd say, what do I do? And they'd say, you just pull this, when you jump out, you just pull that and you'll be okay. You've got to believe before you leap because you don't know that it's going to hold you up. But if you stay with the plane, it's going down. So you're going to jump out of the plane and believe. So you close your eyes, you take a big, big, deep breath and you jump out and that's belief. What you do right there is belief. You put your whole life relying on the parachute. You put your whole life trusting that it was going to take you to the ground. Well, Jesus is a good parachute when it comes to death and dying. Jesus is a great parachute when it comes to life. You can leap out of a plane that's plummeting down to hell. You can leap out and you can trust in him. And that's the sort of thing we talk about belief. It's trust and reliance. It's not just, oh, yeah, there's a God and I believe in God. You know, there's a supreme being somewhere up there. I believe in a supreme being of some sort. I mean, that's... You know, it's sort of, no, no, no. We're not talking about that sort of belief. We're talking about the one that jumps out of the airplane, pulls the parachute, says, I am completely relying on you now, Jesus. I am completely trusting you. Take me to the ground safely. That's what we're talking about. That's the faith that we're talking about. And why are you the best disciple for someone else? because you have done some business with God. You see, you can't, you can't disciple somebody else if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know what it's like to talk to God, it makes it very hard to disciple somebody else. These are not routine questions that you just fill out in road. If you just fill out these questions, then you'll get the answer right and you'll get a tick at the end of it. We'll call you a competent Christian. Just fill out the form. No no. You can't you can't disciple anybody else unless you are listening to and in relationship with God. Now God does that in a number of different ways. In the Bible we read these words It says He came to that which was his own, that means he came to the Jews, but the but his own the Jews did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, this is talking about Jesus, to him, to those who believed in his name, remember that's hanging off the parachute, he gave them the right to become children of God. So those who who are going to trust in Jesus, going to trust their whole life to Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God. So who is given the right to become a child of God? Those who put their complete trust in Jesus. Now I want you to notice what he says next. This This is the statement that says you have to do business with God. It says, children born not of natural descent. That means just because you're a son of Jerome or my son or somebody else's son, and we are Christians and we are pastors, does not mean that you get into heaven without doing business with God. You can't get there on natural descent. It's not my family of origin. My mother was my. I am fourth generation uh, Pentecostal ministerial stuff. Fourth generation. My son is fifth generation. But I had to come to Jesus myself. And I had to talk to Jesus myself. I had to do business with God. God had to talk to me. I could not go into heaven and say, well, you know, hi, God. You know, I'm his son. There's my father there. He sits there with his white hair, saintly man he is. And I, uh, you know, God looks at me, I like that man. I said, well, I'm his son. I'm his son. Accept me. Well, you know, it doesn't work that way. You have to do business with God. He says, You you get here, children, not born of natural descent. You can't just be born into a family that's Christian and then become a Christian. You know, just because you were born a Christian, you don't. don't, If anybody says, I was born a Christian, just shake your head like this and say, It's not of natural descent. You've got to do business with God. Let's try that. Shake your head. Say, It's not of natural descent. You've got to do business with God. That's right. He says, nor of human decision. Oh, wait a minute. I know what. I don't want to do this. I've got this kind of feeling that what you're saying might be right. But, you know, Danny and I know a bloke. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to live for the devil all my life. And then just when I'm, just before I die and I'm laying on my sick bed, I'll decide to turn to Jesus so I can get... All the wickedness on my plate while I'm waiting and then I'll switch over and Jesus forgive me and I'll go into heaven when I die. Well, the problem is it's built on human decision. It's built on this idea that I can decide to follow Jesus when I want to follow Jesus. Listen, that's not doing business with God. That's organizing your insurance policy at the end of your life. And God's got nothing to do with that. Doing business with God is speaking to God when God is speaking to you. So doing business to God means you have to interact with God. I don't I didn't have to sit there and tell you and you have to make a decision on what I'm saying. You have to hear the voice of God's spirit within you speaking to you. I remember a long time ago when Liz was just... I was discipling Liz a long time before she came to Jesus. You know, I started... I did a did a um, a, a renovation at Liz's place, and I started talking to her about the Lord. She told me, don't talk to me about God. We don't talk. You're angry at God or something. She was not very happy with God because she blamed God for some bad stuff that was happening in her life. So we had to talk a bit, you know? And she started going to a church, which was down the road from her place, because she had felt that she wanted to... Someone had sort of been speaking into her life. That was the Holy Spirit. Talking to her in her life, drawing her to himself. She started to hear his voice. She started to do business with God, so she went to this church, and I got really upset with God. God, I'm doing the discipling, and you're taking her and putting her somewhere else. How is this? You know, God says, just trust me. It's okay. Well, I got a phone call one day. I can remember really clearly, and she walked out of church. You were upset. Something the pastor had said, and you had this feeling on the inside that everything wasn't quite right on the inside between her and God. So I explained what she was feeling. I explained the conviction of the Holy Spirit and how it was like, like a hook drawing, him, drawing her to himself. She was doing business with God. And then we prayed together on the phone where she gave her heart to Jesus on the phone. That was the day she said she noticed the difference in her life. She was different to those around her. She could sense that now. No great emotions, but a sense of God had changed something inside of her. You see, that's doing business with God. You weren't there, I wasn't there, but God was there doing business with Liz, speaking into her life, drawing her, convicting her, challenging her. The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. That's what he does you got to do business with God. You can't be a child of God unless you do business with it. You can't come here and say, well, I'm just making a decision to come to church today. You know, if you don't understand that God's involved in that whole process, that you're here because God's been working on you, you're missing the point. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to, it's not because your family's here. It's not because you're making a decision here. It's not because you're... Forced by somebody. Somebody said husband's will. You, know, you will come to church, wife. You will do what I say. Come to church now. You won't get to heaven because somebody forces you to say a sinner's prayer because you get manipulated. You know, ask Jesus into your heart as i chop your head off. There's a motivation, a force. If you don't say Jesus is Lord, I'm going to chop your head off. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> the Bible says, "Force will not get you there." You can say, "Okay, I feel forced," but I'll say, "Jesus is Lord." Doesn't mean you're saved. You just said it, it's human force. No, you can't. The Bible says you are born of God. He says not born of natural descent, not of a hus- of human decision, not of being forced by a husband's will. You are doing business with God. You are the best one to disciple if you have done business with God. Now ask yourself this question. Are you aware that you've been doing business with God? That's a big question. Are you here because you're manipulated to be here? Are you here because you think you must, should not, must be? Or are you here because inside you're feeling the Spirit of God drawing you here? You feel it on the inside. It's not anybody anything he's saying. It's just inside, something's changing on the inside and somehow God is getting to you. That's doing business with God and you're the best one to tell others about that. If you've never done business to God, you can never help anybody do business with God. Why are you someone's best discipler? Because you understand your personal responsibility. I mean, in a world that we live, we we live in a world where it's it's really easy to blame everything on someone else. Like it's the reason I'm doing these bad things is because my dad did these bad things or my mother did these bad things, you know. And the reason I'm doing that, I didn't get the opportunities that, I, that you got in life. You know, my opportunities weren't as good as your opportunities. I don't have the money you have, you know. I got lots of reasons why I am the one who's the victim here. Well there was lots of bad stuff happening around and that you know that's just why I do bad stuff. But you understand because you have understood the condition of your heart and you've understood that God loves you and you understood that Jesus died for your sins and you understood that God was doing business with you and you understood that you needed to have faith, jump out of the plane and put complete trust and confidence. You understand you did that because you didn't want the hell that was coming. You just wanted to have this relationship with God. You understood that you made a choice. You understood your responsibility. You took your responsibility. You said, yes, I did some wrong stuff. I did do some wrong stuff. And you understood your responsibility. If you understand that you're responsible, you're in the best place to help other people to understand their responsibility. If you are avoiding your responsibility in life, You can't tell other people to be responsible because you spend all your time avoiding responsibility. Hey, listen, in the end, we will all be held accountable before God. You will be held to be responsible. You can't blame anybody else when you're standing in front of God and say, God, um, I'm blaming everybody else there. He's going to look at you and say, that was more sheer, buddy. I know your heart. I know what you did. So... What are the consequences of not believing in Jesus Christ? Not putting your full trust in Jesus. Not jumping out of the airplane of life and swinging in the harness of Jesus' love. What are the consequences of not living in that dynamic relationship with Jesus? And John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. Now what is God's wrath? What is God's wrath? It's God's anger. Why would God be angry? Why would man live under the anger of God? Why would the anger be exercised toward man? Because he's broken the rules and God is holy and just and he must punish sin. So if you don't deal with the fact that you've broken the rules and you think you can live outside of Jesus, who's the protection of your life, he's the one who covers you up. Remember, he went like this when you were going to get a belting and he got the belting instead of you. Beat him now while I'm covering him up. He covered him up and then he took the lashings for you. And he stood back and said, Now trust me, I want to walk this life through you. I want to I want to live with you. I want to just Trust me, swing in the, the harness of my love. Walk with me, talk with me. That's where we're living in God's love because we're living in relationship with him. And if you step outside of that, you step out into a place where there is no protection. Well, where does your protection come from? For the one who covers you? Jesus covers you, he protects you. You step out, I don't want Jesus. Well, why are you going to live out there? It's coming. The wrath of God is coming. It's not because he's a meanie. It's because he's holy and he will punish that which is unholy. You've got to remember that. Why are you someone's best disciple? Because you're making right choices. In John chapter 5 and on your paper, I think it says John five fifty-four. Uh, so that's going to be a bit of a confusion for you on your paper. So it should be 524. Okay, so you can make that this, that little amendment there, 524. And this is what it says in John chapter 524. Very truly I, say, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. You want to know how you get from one place to the other? Jump out of the plane into the arms of Jesus and trust him to hold your life. Swing in his arms and say, Jesus, protect me from the disaster that's approaching. Put your whole life and trust in his hands. Don't leave anything back. Don't say, oh, I'll just keep one foot in the plane. You don't want to keep anything near the plane. You want to walk right away from that plane. That plane is going Whoo, down to the ground. You want to make sure that you land very comfortably on your feet with Jesus being your protection. Friends, friends, listen to me. You need to get this straight. There is no safety outside of Jesus. Say that to me now. There is no safety outside of Jesus. Say it again. There is no safety outside of Jesus. If you want to go from death to life, you have to get covered with Jesus. You have to swing in the arms of his love. You've got to put your yourself in his arms and say, Jesus, I want to cross from death to life. I want to get this new life. You are life. I'm living in death. And jump into his arms and walk with him. Why are you someone 's best disciple then? There are these four things that you will have understood before you leap first you 're committed to the person of Jesus. This is not doing a Bible study about jesus we We studied on our Tuesday night Bible study about Jesus. We listened and we talked about what John told us about Jesus and the fact that Jesus was with God before he came to earth and that Jesus was the creator of all things. We learned about Jesus. But the question is not, what do you know about Jesus? The question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know him personally? Not what you know about him, but do you know him personally? And are you committed to him? As much as you would be committed to that parachute that's helping you down on the ground, you're committed to it you jump out and you you hang in that say i'm just committed to you now i've given my whole life in commitment to you that's the commitment it's not uh, half here half out you're committed to His person so you your best friend is going to be jesus and you're going to be loyal to him you're obedient to his directive so he says to you now i want you to do this and you'll feel it and you'll know it he's speaking to you you'll read it in his word You'll it'll come to an awareness that Jesus is speaking to you. Your conscience, which has been cleansed, cleansed from dead works to serve God, will tell you you're doing something that's not quite right. And so you'll, you'll, you know, I, I've got to, You'll know you have to change. Change is essential. You'll know you have to change. You'll, there, there are things in your life that you've got to change, and that will be an awareness that comes to you. I won't need to tell you that. No one else will need to tell you that. God will tell you that directly. you say, you can't keep on doing the thing that you're doing and have a, have a good relationship. I'm not happy about that thing because I'm not happy because it's, it's a wrong thing. So I want you to do the right thing. And he will communicate that into your spirit and you'll know that and you will be committed to him. You say, okay, Jesus, I trust you because Your life. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to give up the old and embrace the new. And you'll accept the obligation of something I that's not always nice feeling, is it? Giving up the old and embracing the new. Especially if the old is comfortable, especially if the old is, is giving you some good vibes. You know, sin is always pleasurable for a season. I mean, why do we drink too much? Because we like what it does to us. It blocks out our minds. So if Jesus says, Well, drunkenness is wrong, well, we have a problem with drinking, then don't we? So we have to then embrace the fact that we can't take alcohol to make us forget our problems. We have to find another way. And the Bible says, well, cast your cares upon me, says Jesus, and I'm caring for you, so let's get into a relationship. Come walk with me, Phil. Come walk with me. Come walk with me through life. You know, leave the bottle alone. You don't want that bottle anymore. You don't need that bottle anymore. You used to hang them on the bottle, didn't you? you? Used, to, used to, That was a thing you sucked every, every... Well, you got that bottle. You don't need that. There's a, there's a suffering involved in cutting that dependency off. Was it easy? No. wasn't easy, was it? It's hard to leave it behind, isn't it? It's scary to leave it behind because that's what you relied on, but now we have to have to rely on someone else. I'm not relying on the drink to get me through. I'm relying now on Jesus in whom I'm hanging in his love. Is he faithful? Did he help you? Are you there? Are you you back in the old stuff? No. It's gone. That's it. That's it. That's what we celebrate. He's come home. You see, there's a cost involved. It's called repentance. And that takes some time, doesn't it? But you did it. You did. We thank God for that. We thank God for that. We accepted that this is going to cost us something. This, this, this is not free. You know. It's like, yeah, it's free grace. He's going to, he gives you, the, he gives you the, the, the thing for free. But you know what? Your old life is going to die. That's going to be some pain. Then your new life is coming. So some, there's a transition period of pain. And that we are going to now work with him. We're partners. You and I are partners. And we're partners with God He's bringing people to your face and you're speaking to him. He's bringing people to my face. So I'm speaking to him. We're on the job. We're discipling people for Jesus. He starts something good here. It doesn't stop here. It flows on and keeps on flowing on like a river. It flows on. And many, many people. So behind Phil, we can say when, when Phil goes to be with the Lord, behind him may be five, six, seven hundred people who Phil has touched with Jesus' love. Hey. Why not? Why not? Why not pray a prayer like, Jesus, lead me to someone today that I can begin the discipleship process with, that I can start to share my faith with. Lead me to somebody today that I can start to talk to about you. I trust you, Jesus. I'm your partner. I want to do this. I want to do this with you, Jesus. You're my friend. Let's do this together. Why are someone's best discipler? Because you're certain of your place. In heaven with God. You are certain. That word to being certain or sure is the word assurance. Everybody say assurance. assurance. You have assurance. The Bible tells us very clearly in John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. This is on your second page. 1 John 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And one of the big scary things that we go through in life, we sit there and say, you know, am I saved? You know, we sit there the God is, you know, we we go through life and we we think that God's sort of looking to find fault in us all the time. You know, is Kathy really good or not? You know, really, she going is she going to be safe or not? Or is she going to get there or not? I, and Kathy would probably say, I, yeah, I hope I'm going to get there. You know, and it's sort of like this is just made up. This is not Kathy because Kathy knows she's going to heaven, don't you, Kathy? Yes. So. It's like we get to that place where we think we have to do better and do more good things so that we can convince ourselves that, that we'll get there. As though like Jesus was saying, well, you haven't done enough good things yet, Quinton. Uh, you have to do more good things. Well, then you're not saved by his grace, are you? You're saved by the good things that you are doing. Now, the good things that you do come because you are saved by his grace, not because you are trying to get saved by his grace. So you don't do good things because you're trying to earn your way to heaven because heaven is given to you at the beginning. You got it. It's yours. And now he says, come with me. Let's walk together in life. Let's get on with our life. Let's do good things because you are created good now. I've made you good. So you don't have to do good things to try and earn his goodness. We can know that we have eternal life. Turn around to the person beside you. Do you know that you have eternal life? Uh, <laughs> one, of, one of the good things about knowing that you have eternal life you know the Holy Spirit gives you an inward assurance and this is the next question who gives us this inward assurance? the Holy Spirit tells us that we are born of God that if you don't have this, this is, I want you to listen to me if you don't have this you need, get, you need to get this this is the product of doing business with God if you've never done business with God, if you've never sat down and asked God to, to, to sort your life out and you've dealt with God and God spoke to you and you've responded to Him and said, God, I, I, I'm needing you, and you've asked Him to come in and you've done, you won't have this. If you're just doing the church thing here, you come along and just doing the church thing, you won't have this inside. You'll think this a religious thing you have to do. You won't have this inside. This is for those who have been born of God this is what happens on the inside the Holy Spirit he says he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God so you will know on the depths on the inside of you that you are God's child you will know I, 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 I can't convince this man that he is not a child of God why you know you are he knows he is why does he know that because he did business with God. God challenged him. God spoke to him. And then he responded and said, I want to ask Jesus. You would do it on a Tuesday night, wasn't it? I want to ask Jesus into my life. I've never done that before. I want to respond to him. He did that on a Tuesday night. Jesus came into it and he knows it now. This is a witness on the inside. You know you're different. I remember, I'll go back to Liz's situation. I said, do you feel different? You know, I expected angels to be climbing out of her ceiling going, hallelujah, you know, this is a party going on in heaven when one sinner repents. <laughs> and I expected to hear the trumpet shouts, and everything. And then she said, there was no emotions. But she knew, I said, what is it? She knew she was different. There was no emotions attached. She knew she was different. She knew she was different to what she was before. That's a conviction. Not an emotion, it's a conviction. Now, do you understand the difference between conviction and emotion? Emotion is something I feel, and then tomorrow I don't feel it. So today I feel happy, and tomorrow I don't feel happy. Today I feel sad, tomorrow I feel glad. It changes and changes. When the wind blows, I feel a different emotion. When, the, when it changes again, I feel something different. But a conviction is something that you know, even though it doesn't matter what you feel. It's something that you know. It's something that you know that you know. The only way they can really express that knowing is when you wake up, and it might be Monday morning, and it just feels like a Sunday morning. Like you, you just oh, and you just feel your emotions say, you know, lay back in bed. It's Monday. Sleep. It's still the weekend. But then in your mind, you know. It's a Monday, and you have to get up. It's just here, you've got a conviction about that. It's different to the emotion. A conviction is something that you know is true, even if you don't feel like it. It's there, it's true. And the Holy Spirit is the one who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you don't have that, friends, you need to get that. Don't go further than the day than trying to get that conviction from God, that you're born of him. Ask the Holy Spirit to communicate to you in no uncertain terms that he's there with you, that he loves you, that he cares for you. You are not meant to be living this uh, relationship with God from a textbook. You're meant to be having a personal relationship with God. This is not about black words on a white page that you're reading. This is about the word of God speaking into your heart, the word of God speaking talking to you, God speaking into your life. Since feelings come and go, what should we be depending on? Since the emotion seems to change with weather patterns, what do we depend upon? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for whatever things were written before we were written for our learning, that, we, that through, through the patience and comfort of Scripture we might have hope. So God has said, "Look, I, look! I've um, over 1,400 years. I've got 44 different authors to start to write this book. I put my hand on it and put my seal on it. You can't find contradictions in it. It's written with a central theme that runs from the very beginning to the very end. You try and work a, you try and start writing a book, Allah today, and expect somebody to finish the book in 1,400 years, complete it completely." Beautifully, just from the very beginning to the end. Do you think you could do that? The only person who can do that is an eternal God who's got a relationship with people who are listening to him. He says, "Start, Moses, you start telling me about, tell them about the beginning. So you start in the beginning, what's the word? God created the heavens and he did his bit. Then Moses died. Moses died and then he starts, Isaiah, you do your bit now. Write your little bit there. Tack it onto that bit. Oh Matthew, it's the New Testament. Now you write. you a little bit Mark, Luke, and John. You write. Put it all together. John, John, tell them how it all going to end in the end. And so everything was written there over 1,400 years, written there by 44 different authors, about that we know of. There for you. And you know what? You can read this, and it can be black words on a white page for you. Or you can read it and say, Jesus, speak to me. And the way you approach this will tell me whether you're alive or dead. It will speak to you. It will speak to you. You'll try and run away from it and hide from it. And the day you pick it up and open its page, the words that you look at will jump out and speak to you like he was standing in the room with you saying, I'm talking to you, Mark. This is what I'm saying to you and it will speak to you. The word of God is alive. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. This is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Having a relationship with Jesus means you're having a relationship with his word. This is his word. His word is alive. It's quicker and powerful, sharper than any two edged short. As you're sitting and talking to him and reading his word, his word will be banging you on the inside saying, wake up, wake up, go to sleep, wake up. They'll be telling and talking to you about your situation in life. You can't sleep at night, he'll tell you to go to sleep. He'll tell you, I give my beloved sleep. Go to sleep and stop worrying, he'll tell you. If you're there and you're going to sleep too much, he'll tell you, wake up, it's time to wake up. He'll speak to you in every situation, in every circumstance, he'll speak to you through his word. His word has been given, and we shouldn't base our emotions as the center of our lives. We should base our confidence in his word. The word is given to us so that we can have hope and assurance. Amen? Amen. We place our assurance in the word of God because it endures forever. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, that the word of the Lord endures forever. And why does the word of the Lord endure forever? Because the word of the Lord is Jesus. And Jesus is an eternal being. He endures forever. It will not be. You can't destroy it. You can burn this Bible, but you can't destroy it because He, he is not able to be destroyed. He is the conqueror, and the, He lives forever. Jesus is the source. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, friends, why is it that we are going to be the best disciples out? The last three questions on that page. You can probably fill them at home. But basically they say, you know, you're going to find troubles in life. You're going to, get, you're going to make mistakes. The, the, um, Renee and I were talking about sinless perfection this morning. We were talking about things that interest us. And uh, we were talking about whether you, you can ever live without sin in your life or whether you have, you know, well, you're going to sin on and keep on sinning. We were discussing that. John says, early days, you're going to stuff up. If you deny that you've got sin in your life, you're not telling the truth. He says, but you know what the great thing is? And the psalmist says this. He says, the righteous man falls seven times but rises again, it says. The psalmist said, you know, you will make mistakes. How many people who have never made a... Well, you, you all will make mistakes. You're not going to get it right because you're just learning. You're starting the process. So as you're going to make mistakes, doesn't mean that you should keep on making mistakes. When you make a mistake... We have one who is there for us. John says in first 1, 1 John chapter 2, he says, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ used the propitiation or the big sacrifice for all of our sins. He says in 1 John 1 9, he says, if we confess, say it with me, if we confess our if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we have to do is go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know. I'm feeling really bad about something I said yesterday. I'm feeling really bad about something I did yesterday. And the reason you're feeling bad about it is because the Holy Spirit is living inside and he's feeling sad about it. That's why you're feeling bad about it because you're grieving. The feeling of grieving is because he is inside of you saying, I'm sad about what you did. I'm sad about what you did. And he's saying to you, you know, there's a problem. We have a problem. Come work it out with me. Come do business with me. And so you come and you get down on your knees before you go to bed at night or you're lying in your bed and you put the covers over your head and say, Jesus, I'm feeling sad and bad inside because of what I said and I did. But you know what? If I come to you and I confess my fault to you, you said you would forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I reckon I need to do that, Lord, because I'm feeling sad and bad on the inside. And so you pour it out before him and say, I, I'm sorry I said that to this person. I'll go and say sorry tomorrow because he'll nudge you to do that. I'm sorry I did that. I'll, I'll make restitution about that or I'll, 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 I'll make sure I have a different way of responding next time. And he'll speak to you about that. He's there always to talk to you about that. And nothing that you go through in life First 1 Corinthians 10, verse 30, it says nothing, no temptation that you will encounter in life is going to be too heavy. You know why? Because he's going to stand there with you. He's going to make it able for you to stand up underneath it so that if it comes upon your life, he's going to be there with his arms around. It can blow this way, but he, if you just trust in him, he will keep it off you so that you can endure it. That's the way he does it. Nothing in your life will come against you that will be able to undo you because your relationship with Jesus is going to be so strong that it will help you to bear up underneath it. You say, I can go through this. And some of you will die for your faith. Some of us will die for our faith. It will be hard. We will face it. We will have to die for our faith. I know that. We will have to die for our faith. And at that point in time, we are not standing alone. But with him who stands within us to strengthen us, to give a good account of Jesus. Amen. Because nothing is going to be too hard for us. You know why? We're not going to quit. Nothing is going to stop us. We and why you are someone's best create best disciple. I'll tell you why. You love Jesus. You love Jesus. That's the bottom line. You know Because you, you love Jesus. Can I tell you about my friend, my best friend, Heike? Let me tell you about my best friend. Let me tell you about how. I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. let me tell you what he's done for my life. You know, let me tell you, I can see you're really sad. I can see you're really unhappy. I was sad and I was unhappy once, but Jesus came into my life and he gave me something. Let me tell you about what he gave me to do. When we go around and talk to people around, you know why it's easy to talk to them about this stuff? It's not about convincing them about a religion. It's not, it's telling them about your friend. Let me tell you about my friend Jesus. Let me tell you about his love. Let me tell you about his grace that pours out. I know you're feeling really guilty because of what you've done. I know you're feeling broken and you're feeling really alone. I know you feel like there's no one in there. Let me tell you about my friend Jesus who was there for me. That's why you're the best disciple there is because you love Jesus. You love Jesus. Now listen, friends. This may have challenged you somewhat. You think, I don't know whether I have that inner witness about being a a child of God. I don't know whether I do those things that you've said today, Mark. I don't think I have the assurance that if I were to die today that I would go and be with him. That assurance is not there. Well, you don't have to go any further We bought a cake today so that we could say, welcome home. You know, today can be a day of celebration because you can say, I've been in the cold for too long and what I want is I want to come home. It's time for me to see Father God with his arms stretched open wide and me to run into his arms and give him a big hug and to walk with him for the rest of my life together. Hey, let's get out of the plane that's plummeting down onto the ground. Let's jump into that parachute of Jesus' arms. Let's come to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you still want me, I'm here. I want to be the best disciple for you. Amen? And Stand up, shall we? Close your eyes. Friends, this is a moment when Jesus has probably been speaking to your heart. You've probably seen some inconsistencies in your life. Well, the Holy Spirit is very faithful. He's careful, and he'll be speaking to you. You're doing business with God. If you're here today, you'll be doing business with God because God is here, and he's here to minister to you. If you felt like there was something missing in your life, if you felt that you just, you just don't have that assurance, you, want to, you just think that this, you just want more of Jesus, You want to just put your hand up and let's, once and for all, just do this for Jesus. Okay. Okay. Father, you see all of those hands that are raised here. They, Some of them, Lord, we know that they love you. We know that they just want more of you, Jesus. And some of them, Lord, we're not sure where their hearts are, that you know where their hearts are. And they're responding to you now, Jesus, to say to you, Lord Jesus, take it all. We want you. We don't want anything else. We want to walk this walk with you, Jesus. You are the one who leads us and guides us. You're the harness in which we jump to escape a plane that is going down, Lord Jesus. You're the one whom we trust. You're the one who we care about. You're the one whom we love. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would touch each person who's raised their hands. Give them that awareness that you love them so much. Fill them so full of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Testify with them that they are now children of God. They've been born of you, Lord Jesus. Lord, the striving is over and the stress is gone and that sins are forgiven, Lord Jesus, and that your grace is poured out upon them. In in Jesus' mighty name. I want you all to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, Jesus, I come to you now. I know that you want me to respond to you. And I'm coming to you now saying, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for not recognizing your love for me. I'm responding to you, Jesus, asking you to forgive me and to cleanse me and to make my heart clean. I give my life to you, Holy Spirit. I invite you to fill me with yourself, Jesus, so that I can walk with you, obey you, suffer with you, and work with you. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Time to party. Amen. God bless you.